Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Ross Martin and Mike Ingersoll. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Start with Mike Ingersoll first. Mike, we had a couple questions on the board. And we'll get to those, uh, but I want to ask you a question about um, the offensive line and how the offense fares. A lot of people have talked about um, you've got to have a good quarterback to have a good offense. You've got to have good skill positions, guys, to have a good offense. Um, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not asking this just because you're an O-line guy, but I think that you better have an above average offensive line if you want to have an above average offense but your take on that versus quarterback play versus offensive line play which is more important especially in an offense like Larry Fedora's well you, well that's I guess that's, that's two questions so generally conventional wisdom is that you know your quarterback especially in a spread offense or the type of offense that Fedora runs uh, which is much more balanced uh, than most most traditional spread offenses but uh, in order to be successful in that offense, you've got to have a quarterback that can throw the ball and can get into the hands of people that can make plays and score points. But it, generally, and this does apply to Fedora's offense, um, if you don't have anybody to protect that that ball deliverer, uh, then you have no way to be successful in that offense. It doesn't matter how good that guy is. If you can't keep him off the ground and he can't keep guys out of his face, then it's going to affect his ability to do his job. And his job is the single most important job on the field. And that's, again, to get the ball in the hands of people that can make plays. So... Yeah, you, you'd think that the default would be your quarterback is the most important guy in the field, and he is, but he can't do his job if the offensive line doesn't do their job, and that has a trickle-down effect to every other position. It affects the uh, the entire offense's ability to be effective. Hey, so Mike, what do you think has been the main issue with, with UNC, uh, UNC's offense? Because we talked to Elliot today, and it seems like he's been pretty accurate. At least that's what Coach Cap said. But a big issue – sorry, it's, it seems like he's been – Making good decisions, that's what Coach Cap said. You know, 90% of the time, at least the ball is going the right to the right person, the right read. But his accuracy has been off. Other than that, you know, what else has kind of really plagued this offense in, uh, in the two halves that where it's really struggled? Uh, well, the biggest thing I've noticed is and even it's not an offensive line issue. It's, a, uh, it's in the passing game, and it's 50-50 balls. So the thing that Anthony Ratliff, uh, who I'm a huge champion of, I mean, I love Ant. Um, I knew him in high school. I helped coach him in high school. He's a great kid. And he's done everything right since he's been at Carolina. Um, but the one thing that everyone preached about him was that, you know, I think the the, the general phrase was that he would turn 50-50 balls into 80-20 balls. Mm-hmm. Well, the 50-50 balls that him and the other receivers have had a chance to come down with have been going the other way. Um, and we're on the wrong side of that 50. So that's the number one issue that I've seen, uh, particularly in the passing game. Uh, pass protection from an offensive line standpoint has been, been solid but from you know in in the run game it's the same thing that i've been saying now for a couple of weeks it's second level assignments it's not so much the first level your defensive line assignments uh your one-on-one blocks your single blocks it's your double teams getting up on linebackers we have a lot of linebackers shooting gaps and making plays and if we can cut that out then our running game would be more effective too and i think that uh antonio williams looked pretty good in the first half against ecu it seemed like he he was running he was running mean that's what he said today in the media availability there were some holes he was hitting them with 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 speed and, and with uh you know, pretty viciously, what'd you take away from kind of that, his performance, and maybe looking ahead at what UNC can utilize with with Williams carrying the ball? Well, he's a good player. Ohio State wouldn't assign him if he wasn't. Um, and he, he, he has the size that he needs to be successful um, 
at this level, particularly in the ACC, which I don't think it's enough credit for the type of defensive conference that it is. Um, it, we have is I think at one point we had the most defensive players uh, in the NFL. I'm sure the, the SEC and maybe Alabama by itself has surpassed that at this point. Um, but it is a defensive conference, and you know, especially your front seven, your defensive line and linebackers. And and if you're going to be successful at running back in this conference, you have to have the build that uh, Williams has. And and he's and he's shown that he's more than capable. And again, that you know, his success against ECU early on before he got the ejection was um, was a reflection of our ability as an offensive line to do well on the first level with our singles and with our first level assignments with the defensive line and those and those blocking assignments. Um, and then he's a big enough guy and he's explosive enough and, and a powerful enough athlete to where if he does come into contact with a with a free runner from the second level, um, he's going to win that matchup more times than not. Let me ask you a similar question I asked about the offensive line and the quarterback. I mean, running backs have to have holes to run through. I think the only, not the only, but the best running back I ever saw running behind a terrible offensive line was probably Barry Sanders. I mean, he made everybody look good just by his ability. But Antonio Williams goes out in that game, and then the running game sort of dries up. I mean, is that something you saw against East Carolina that maybe they were doing differently, or did the offensive line just – um, stop executing uh, the blocks and the second level blocks. Do you, you know it? Was it all Antonio Williams in that first half, um, or was something else going on later when the running game sort of slacked off a little bit? Well, it's 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 a game plan thing, right? So there's there's really three issues you got to pay attention to. Number one is that no team that we play is going to have film on Antonio on, on Antonio Williams, especially early in the season. Um, you know, he, he was up at Ohio State. He wasn't playing in the ACC. He wasn't in a Carolina uniform. Uh, they don't know what – no team that we play early in the season is going to know uh, what his style of running is here in this offense, uh, what his uh, what his cutback, what his cutback lanes are going to look like depending on our uh, – depending on whatever formation we line up in and what play they think we're going to run out of that. So there's there, there's a film issue. There's a knowledge issue on, on him right now that he can take advantage of. Same thing you see with young quarterbacks. Uh, when they come in, there's no film on them. Patrick Mahomes, think Patrick Mahomes, right? Can't game plan against a guy you've never seen play before. Um, that'll change as the season goes on. But it's also a, um, it's just a different style thing, right? So we have our running back group is very strong. Um, so this is point number two. It, you put in new guys, they have they see different things. Different running backs have different field vision. So they see different cutback lanes. They they see different holes open up. They see things that may not be there. Um, you know, and that's, and that, and that changes it up. And again, point number three is kind of a play on number one. You have film on these new guys. Um, part three B is that, or three A is that we don't really know what the game plan, how that changed internally, uh, going forward in the game after Antonio was, was kicked out. Uh, so the play calling may have been different. The, uh, the play, the offensive philosophy may have changed somewhat, especially as we started having to play from behind a little bit more and play catch up. Um, so all of that would, likely have played into a deficiency in the run game after Antonio left. Uh, that's not to discount him or his ability at all. He had, he was having a great game and I think he's going to be a real, he's, he's going to be an impact player for us this year. Um, don't get me wrong, but I think there's a lot of different things playing in. It wasn't all just him. Uh, nice Pat Mahomes res, uh, reference. <laughs> that's, that's my starting fantasy. I got him. Uh, Matt Stafford benched after the first week. Mahomes led me to victory this past weekend. <laughs> Mike, let me, uh, ask another question about sort of O-line and running backs and all that. And I'm curious when a play is called, when a running play specifically is called, how many options are built into 
a normal play for the running back as far as which gap to hit or you know we always see guys uh, Willie Parker used to get knocked all the time because he bounced everything out but when a play is designed running lanes where the running back supposed to go um, is there any option there obviously better running backs can make um, you know make plays out of ones that aren't going well but just speak to that because it's interesting to see uh, you know they say a guy's a between the tackles runner and it used to drive folks crazy when Elijah Hood would uh, they call a play and he'd have to run parallel to the line of scrimmage before stopping on a dime and turning up field just speak to how that is game plan as far as calling plays and, and responsibilities for the running back in those plays. Uh, well, your gap scheme plays are designed to hit front side. So they're designed to hit in the gap that is called. So call, think uh, power, counter, uh, those, types, those types of plays. Uh, if you call 36 powers, the conventional play call um, for your gap scheme. So you think 36 power is supposed to hit the six hole. It's, you know, based on where it all ends up shaking out somewhere between the tackle and the guard that's where the play is designed to hit uh more more times than not it actually ends up hitting somewhere between you know in the b gap somewhere between the center and the guard but it typically follows that puller the puller pulls around the guard um off the uh pulls off the front side guard off the front side shoulder of that double team so the guard in the center or the guard and the tackle are typically double teaming right there up to the middle linebacker um or the, excuse me, to the backside linebacker, the uh, and the puller is pulling around for the middle linebacker. That leaves a hole there in roughly that six gap. So your your gap schemes are designed to hit front side. Your inside zone schemes. Um, so a lot of people, you know, fourteen or fifteen. Some people call them fours or twenty fours, things like that. Twenty three, twenty four, twelve is sort of your tighter inside zone scheme. Those are all designed to uh, as cutbacks, right? If you can hit it front side, then great. But they're really designed to hit. They're really designed to hit backside off the backside double team. Um, so you've usually got a tackle and a guard. Uh, a lot of times you'll run them into an under front, meaning you've got your three technique on the weak side and the backside. You set it up that way. Uh, so you usually have a, 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 a double team between the backside tackle and backside guard up to the middle linebacker. And the play is actually designed to hit off the backside of that tackle's butt uh, off the backside tackle. So it's your inside zone schemes are, are cutback plays and your, your gap schemes are, um, are your front side, uh, front side hit plays. So, Mike, you know, two games in, what's kind of your grade for the O-line? What issues do you see? You know, and don't hold back here, man. We, we have you on for your your big-time analysis. So, so, two games in, UNC's offensive line, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I give them a B-minus, and what ends up saving them is their pass protection. Um, for the most part, we've had decent pockets. Um, we've also shown an ability to rotate guys in and still be successful. Um, and that, and that's, that's important because the dynamic does change and the chemistry does change on the offensive line when you start throwing new bodies in there, but we've shown an ability to rotate guys in and out in the, in the, in the event that we have, uh, more debilitating injuries, uh, you know, save a repeat from last year. Um, but in the event that we have injuries, which we will, um, every year offensive linemen get hurt on every single team in the country. Uh, it looks like we will have an ability to plug and play and get some guys in there and we won't lose a whole lot. Uh, there won't be much of a drop off in terms of performance, but you know the, where the B minus, you know, so I give I give them an A minus in terms of for the most part pass protection, maybe a A minus B plus. The where the B minus comes in is they're they're basically getting a C in the run game right now. There's just not a whole lot of run game uh, production, and again for the reasons I've said, it's it's second level assignments. It really has very little to do with our first level, um, but you know a lot of the a lot of the run game is predicated on getting to your second level assignments. You don't want guys running free. Those are the more athletic guys. Um, defensive, a running back can typically, 
evade a defensive lineman in space. It's harder for a running back to evade a linebacker or, or, or a nickelback or uh, a defensive back there in space because those guys are their counterparts over on the defensive side of the ball. They're equally athletic. Um, so it's, 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 it's much harder for them to evade those guys. You don't want them running free. And we're having too much, too much run through and too many free runners uh, on the second level. So if we can clean that up. I think we'll be much more successful. And we're going to have to lean on the running game because, you know, the passing game, for whatever reason, just isn't working right now. Yeah, for sure. And I think Antonio Williams running against ECU in the first half before he was ejected it was gave some promise to what UNC can do. It seemed like they schemed a little better and, and hit their blocks. But they're going to be without J.J. McCargo again. It seems like, you know, kind of based on what we're hearing and what we've kind of learned this week, that Jonathan Troll, the walk-on center, is going to get the start um, at center again uh, against Pittsburgh. So, of course, a guy who hasn't played much but is a senior. He's been in the system for a long time. But enough offensive line talk. I want to talk to you about Jersey Mike's at Chapel Hill. This is the week. This is tailgate week. This is the first home game. If you need a quick tailgating option, head to jerseymikes.com backslash order and use the promo code HEELS15 to get 15% off your Jersey Mike's order. It's a quick, easy, efficient way to get a bunch of subs for all your friends and family before UNC takes on Pittsburgh. Skip the line. Head straight to the register. Grab your food, and you're on your way. It's very easy. You can find the nearest locations to you. You find your order. You pick your favorite subs. And then at the checkout, enter Heels 15. In Chapel Hill, there are three locations. On Elliott Road, kind of in the center part of the town, off MLK, right off I-40, and at Falcon Bridge Shopping Center on 54, right off I-40. And then Hillsborough, if you're coming that way, at, at exit 261, there's another location right there off the interstate. And look for them with tailgate guys. If you're tailgating with that group this fall and inside Keaton Stadium, Jersey Mike's Chapel Hill is providing subs there. So you can find them everywhere in Chapel Hill. And they're also opening two new locations. One's going to be down south, kind of towards Briar Chapel in Chatham County. And one is going to be in 50, off 15501 towards Durham. So Heels 15 is a promo code. It's super easy. These are UNC fans, UNC alums and guys that want to help us, and we want to help them. So Heels 15 on your online order. All right, Mike, we got a question here, and I kind of, this is kind of a thing we can throw out to Tommy and myself as well. It kind of looks at the schedule from a broader sense. Um, obviously, UNC is 0-2. If you look at the schedule now, you know what's realistic um, in terms of what UNC can, can do the rest of the season? I think this is one we can all kind of tackle kind of look at the schedule now, now that we have seen two games and kind of know what this team is and might look like. What I'll go with you, Mike, first. You know, what, what do you realistically see in, in the next nine games for UNC? Well, Carolina's going to win a game they're not supposed to win, and they're going to lose some games that we probably expect them to lose at this point. Um, they're going to have a much tougher game than I think people expect up there in Syracuse. Syracuse uh, looks pretty good this year. They looked well rounding out the season last year. They looked pretty good rounding out the latter half of the season last year. Um, and obviously they played well against Florida State. Now, I don't think Florida State's that good. And, Ross, I actually saw your uh, power rankings for the ACC, and you had Florida State down there, I think, at 13. And I think that's yeah. probably right. They're just not a very good team. Um, that's a, you know, that's a crazy deal. That's a crazy deal. Sorry to interrupt, but Willie Taggart's first year, there's tons of talent down there. But Florida State is looking rough. I mean. Yeah, just they're not they're not playing well. And for whatever reason, um, they, they run a, very, a fairly vanilla offense that's that's easy to predict. And I think that's really hurting them. And, and I think they've also probably got a buy-in problem. Um, there's likely a coaching style change between him and 
uh, Jimbo and some of the guys that were recruited by Jimbo aren't going to, they're just not buying into that. You see that sometimes. Uh, you saw it with Fedora when there was the transition from Butch's guys and you saw it from the, the transition from Bunnings guys to Butch. I mean, it happens with every coaching change. So I think that that contributes to some of it. But I, I say all that because I, I don't want people to discount um, despite how poorly Florida State is playing, I don't want people to discount Syracuse. So I think that's going to be a much difficult game, a much more difficult game in the Carrier Dome than we think it's going to be. Um, you know, Duke and NC State are going to be a toss-up. It seems like no matter how good or bad either one of us as a program are doing in one particular season, those games are they're, they're complete toss-ups. I mean, you remember the Russell Wilson three-win NC State teams that would that that, that beat me uh, four straight years. I mean, and they were horrible every single year. Um, and we were significantly better and more talented. And I think that's, you know, that role has been reversed now. So you don't know how that state game's going to go, and you don't know how the Duke game's going to go because, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen to Duke. Barring injuries um, to some of these other teams, I mean, I think Carolina realistically can win four games. I think they can beat Pitt. Uh, they're dogs at Pitt, but I think they're going to be dogs at every, virtually, virtually every game with the exception of Western this year. Um, so they're going to beat Western, and I think they're going to beat Pitt. Uh, they got a shot at beating Virginia, and then they're going to split Duke and NC State. And I think, I think that right now is the most realistic scenario and the best for us. So I think four, finishing out the season here, four out of the next nine games are going to be wins, and five are going to be losses in Wait, some some way, shape, or form. Let me get you on the record here. You say Virginia. What's the result there? At Virginia, I think Virgi- I think I think Virginia. Virginia is going to be a win. Uh, right. It's just don't like those guys. I mean, they're going to run and their then, mouth, and he's going to, it's going to fire these guys up. You're going to beat Western. Western is going to be a win. What about uh, and, and no pit. I don't think I, Georgia Tech's Georgia Tech's offense is going to be a problem. I, don't, I mean, they don't they don't look that good, but um, they're going to clean. They're going to write their shit. Paul Johnson's not going to let them be bad for that long. So that they're going to come. They're, they're going to come into Carolina and they're they're going to have their hair on fire. I feel like that's going to be a loss. I think they can probably win the Virginia game. They're most likely going to win the Western game. Uh, I think they can beat Pitt, and. Um, despite being dogs. And I think Pitt's a better football team than they had been, but I think they can win it. And then they're going to split State and Duke, hopefully. So I think they can win four games, most likely three. God, that's going to make it so dicey when decisions have to be made. Tommy, what do you think? What's your kind of breakdown looking at the next nine games? And where do you think UNC can get a win or wins? Or where do you think they're going to lose? Uh, you know, I think, and I don't know about all this reset stuff. And I was going to ask Mike about that. And yeah, I don't we know. can get into that. It's, you know, yeah, they got a break. Uh, didn't have to play UCF. Had a hurricane break. Reset. It's still you're still zero and two. Um, and if they go into the pit game and they lose that, then you know I think the bottom falls out. And you know, you mentioned about decisions at the end of the season. I, if if this team doesn't win six ball games, I think if they get to six somehow, some way, then that's going to be about the most Carolina thing ever uh, because it'll leave it in limbo. But I just don't see it happening. And here's the issue with Pitt, and we can talk about it more. We'll certainly talk about it more for the preview show um, for the game on Saturday is you're not beating Pitt unless you have a quarterback that can throw the ball downfield. And if Nathan Elliott's the guy that Fedora is rolling with, that's not going to happen. It hasn't happened all year. And we talked about the 50-50 balls, but it looks to me like these quote-unquote 50-50 balls have been mostly just throw it up and pray that Ratliff Williams can make a play. And, you know, some he makes and, and more this year, at least. I think I heard the stat in Kapilovic's interview, um, 15 targets, only seven catches or something like that. Um, but let's be realistic. I mean, he hadn't, he hadn't gotten an opportunity a lot to catch a ball, especially not in space. And so I think if, if 
Elliott's the guy that they continue to roll with. I don't see him beating Pitt on Saturday. And then after that, you know, you're looking at Virginia game being uh, sort of a remix of the Bunning game. And what was that? Oh, the Six? Thursday night game back in 06, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a situation like that, and um, it's not going to be on Thursday night, but it'll probably be at noon on Saturday. And Carolina could legitimately be staring at, what is that? 0-5, The decision was made back then, too, for his, for historical perspective. The decision was made with Coach Bunning, um, right, wrong, or indifferent, after the Clemson game, after that 52-7 to loss down there at Clemson. But the uh, the players knew, and everyone in the building kind of knew, that after that Virginia game, it was, it, it was over. And the Virginia game, I believe, was maybe two weeks before the Clemson game, maybe the week before. But we – it was after that Virginia game that, that, that we knew it was done. And that's because it's a rivalry game and it was on national TV and this will be a similar situation. Yeah, similar so, stakes, I guess I should say. Don't know if yeah, it's a similar situation. I think if Carolina can beat Pittsburgh with Fortin as quarterback, uh, then you go to Miami on a Thursday night and you hope that Miami's overlooking them. Uh, I don't see it happening. Virginia Tech, you know, I'm of the opinion, and I know they've beaten Virginia Tech a couple times. Uh, Geo's whiteout year, and then Quinshad's catch, I believe, in overtime, or Buck Howard, whoever caught the ball, I think it was Quinshad, um, to beat them to win the Coastal. But until Carolina consistently beats them, I'm not picking them. And Mike's exactly right. Syracuse wore out Florida State and did it with a backup quarterback, not even Dungy. And so they're a lot better than people think. I think the pit game hinges for me between four, four-ish wins on the season. Um, and if they lose pit, then you're looking at two maybe or one. And, if, and that's just because these kids are 18 to 22. I don't care what they say. Losing ways on everybody. The negative press that the staff's going to get and deserve if it starts trending downward weighs on you and you know mike you've been there when things start going south it's hard to turn it around it is Uh, and that's what was so weird about bunning and i know i'm rambling a little bit but mike you can talk about that bunning would go to utah and get beat even though they didn't get beat any worse in utah than they did in east carolina and then come back and beat miami and then have another game and then come back and beat nc state i just didn't understand the flip-flop that's where it's tough for me seeing anything um, positive coming if Carolina can't beat Pitt on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we've, I we think Greg and I were talking about this earlier uh, after a media session. If they lose the Pitt, I think this game is huge. Yeah, because they lose the Pitt, and they, I think they're going to lose at Miami, and then I think Virginia Tech's really good, and they're going to lose when Virginia Tech comes to home. So that's 0 and 5. Then you go up to Syracuse, and like uh, Mike alluded to, I mean, Syracuse is a pretty good team. They've been pretty good. They've had games where they've won uh, multiple years. I think North Carolina coming into there, into the Carrier Dome, isn't intimidating, and, and UNC could easily lose that game. And then you're 0-6, and you, you have to find wins at Virginia, which will kind of be in a similar place as UNC, probably in a losing record, very desperate for wins. George Tech at home, and that's going to be a very, very tough game. But I don't think George Tech is as good. You know, they already have two losses. Uh, they, they lost to Pitt. They lost to South Florida. I don't think they're as good as in, in maybe some last couple of years. I think Duke is, is pretty good. They won without Daniel Jones. 
uh, and they beat Baylor. And then there's Western Carolina State. So, I mean, this pit game is huge because that gets you I gets you 1-0 in the ACC. It gets you 1-2, which, you know, obviously it's not great. but it's One step than- closer to 500. Exactly. And then you then you can maybe, yes, maybe steal a win somewhere. Maybe get some confidence going and figure out some offensive issues. And you can you maybe beat Syracuse, beat Virginia, beat Georgia Tech, beat Duke. I mean, those are four winnable games there, kind of the middle of the schedule um, that sets up. And then, then you're looking, you know, four or five wins. And and then it kind of puts Bubba in a, in a weird spot in the season. But um, I think it's an interesting conversation. I think we all kind of had similar takes. I think a lot of it depends on how they look against Pitt, if they can get things going, if they get some things clicking and who knows if there's a quarterback change um, after the pit game, or if they kind of figure some things out in Miami with, with going with Surratt or going with Elliot, because Surratt will be available at Miami. I believe that might be a, a chance for him to show what he can do. Mike, your thoughts on the reset deal, this talk, I know you sort of uh, commented when I was speaking, but uh, I just think it's, this reset talk, I think it's kind of ridiculous, but maybe I'm just being cynical. Your thoughts there? Well, I mean, I, I can only speak from personal experience and, and how I was as a player. I mean, if I would have had a week off after – well, I mean, if we had a loss and went to a bye week, right? I mean, that's essentially the same situation they got. They they snuck an extra bye week in this year. Um, I, didn't, I didn't see the bye week as a chance to reset. Uh, if there was a loss leading into the bye, I just kind of dwelled on it for an extra week. Um, and the team sort of did. That's the last, you know, that's the last thing you have to think about until your next game. And now you have to think about it twice as long as you normally would. That stuff does affect you. Like you said, 18, 19, 20 year old kids. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat this. And if you go back and you record, you know, you listen to the last podcast we talked about where Greg was on, uh, it was me, you and Greg, you know, I, I tried buying in a little bit myself personally. I tried buying into the reset, the reset idea. And, and, you know, in theory, theoretically it works, right. But practically it just it it's 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 not going to be it's not going to be the case. Um, these kids have been thinking about this. They've been dwelling on the loss, and it does, like you said, losing weighs on you, and and it will affect them. Now, whether it affects them for an entire game, whether it affects them when things start going south, whether it affects them early in the game, and then they correct the ship and they end up pulling out a win, I don't know. But you're going to see the ramifications of zero and two, and then having an extra week to stew on it. Uh, at some point, they're going to manifest during the pit game and. And it's either going to be hanging heads when things start going south or it's going to be hanging heads from the start. Then a fire gets lit under their butts and they come back out and they, they you know, they, they, they blow the doors off a pit to finish the game off. I don't know how it's going to look, but it's going to show up at some point. So it's something you can pay attention to. Um, and that's not being pessimistic. That's being realistic. Uh, that's just that's just human nature. That's the reality of it, especially like you said, if you're an 18, 19, 20 year old kid, it's impossible not to think about it. And now you made me think about it for twice as long than I would have normally. <laughs> there's it's going to affect you we talked about the virginia game and now there's a great opportunity for unc fans to go watch the heels of virginia it's going to be mid-october the leaves are going to be changing and now you can get to the virginia game quickly and easily with heelstravel.com inside carolina podcast is partnered with heels travel provide an easy and simple way for unc away unc fans to travel to away games chuck joyce the president of heels travel is a greensboro native and diehard carolina fan he reached out to me and said, I want to figure out a better way to get UNC fans to travel for football games and basketball games. So right now, Heels Travel Travel is selling bus packages to get you, the diehard Carolina fan, to the Virginia game in Charlottesville on October 27th. It's a one-day bus trip that leads from Chapel Hill. After that trip, there's tons of options to get to really cool 
UNC basketball game. So head to heelstravel.com or call 336-855-0060. Right now we're pushing the Las Vegas trip over Thanksgiving weekend. It's a three-night stay at Aria Casino and Resort. You have round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip transportation from the airport in Las Vegas to the hotel. So everything's kind of planned out for you. You don't have to worry about getting an Uber, getting a taxi, or figuring out the best hotel. Heels Travel has it all figured out. So the Virginia game, the two games in Las Vegas for basketball, and then the game in Chicago, that's been coming out soon, where UNC takes on Kentucky. That could be a top five, top ten matchup um, right there around Christmas time. So some great opportunities to see not only UNC football, but UNC basketball. So head to heelstravel.com or call 336 855 0060 to book tommy mike let me uh spend this podcast going towards the end of it but a lot of questions on the message boards are about coaching searches and coaching this and that and i don't really want to go there i feel like we've talked about that enough it is what it is at this point Um, but i did want to ask you a question drawing on your experience and we've talked about this before um, maybe last season but just Speak to your experience in dealing um, in the recruiting process and what you liked about uh, the approaches that coaches and their staff took with you specifically and with others, um, if you have knowledge about, you know, how your teammates were. I mean, just speak to what made you like a a particular coach and what made you, you know, choose Carolina, yes, but – you know what what were those qualities that you looked for um when you were thinking about um where to go to play college football um way back in your younger days <laughs> well the my final three criteria when picking a school were they had to have great academics they had to be sponsored by Nike and they had to have names on the backs of their jerseys that's how i <laughs> that's how i narrowed my three down and vanderbilt didn't have names on their jerseys so they got kicked off and virginia was real kind of kind of stuck up and Nose in the air, University of Virginia, right? I just couldn't stand it when I went up there. So process elimination ended up being Carolina. And it had the added benefit of, you know, I was on campus for 15 minutes for my official visit. And I knew this is where I wanted to go to school for at least the next four years. I mean, it was just an innate, natural thing for me. But the thing that I appreciated most from coaches in in recruiting and and what actually helped me get to – get to the ultimate decision I ended up making, um, it came down to the wire between – Vanderbilt and Carolina. My recruiting was a little bit different too. I didn't follow college football growing up. I never thought I was ever going to have an opportunity to play college sports, let alone football. I was a basketball player and a baseball player growing up. So I didn't pick up football till the eighth grade. And then I only did it because it was just fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't start getting scholarship offers for football until the end of my junior year. And I figured, well, I guess I'm going to college. And at that point, I'd never really watched college football. I didn't understand who the premier programs were, but I knew that I grew up a Tar Heel fan. I knew that at that point I'd focused on my grades and I was getting a lot of attention from some pretty prestigious academic institutions. Um, and I knew that my parents were pushing that I should go to a, a great academic school. So that's where the Virginia Vanderbilt UNC finalists came from. Although there were, there were about 15 or 16 other schools I, I had to choose from. Um, I was very fortunate in that regard, uh, but it came down to the wire between Vanderbilt and Carolina. And what set Vanderbilt apart was I was recruited by Warren Beelan. Uh, who is now the linebackers coach at JMU. Uh, And he was previously the linebackers coach with the Carolina Panthers. And then I believe he actually went back to Vandy and then back to JMU. 
but uh, his his brother was actually the defensive line coach at Virginia, which is how that Virginia connection happened. Um, and they were actually both my primary. So I had the brothers recruiting me each uh, to their respective schools, which was interesting. But Warren was, and I assume he's still the same way because he was when I spoke with him when he was with the Panthers. Um, he was he was like family. Um, that co- the conversations I would have with him were rarely about Vanderbilt. They were usually about how am I doing in school? How is this class going? What's going on at practice? How do I feel about that? If I had a question, I could ask him you know, a question, whether it was about life or about football. And he always had advice for me. Um, and it didn't feel like I was being recruited. It felt like I was talking to a friend. Uh, and there were several schools that had some coaches like that. But to be honest with you, the best relationship I had with a recruiter was with Warren Beelan from Vanderbilt, now JMU. And uh, that's what made the decision to come to Carolina so difficult. It wasn't, it wasn't so much coming to Carolina was a hard call for me. Uh, it was the difficulty of telling Vanderbilt no. And that always stuck with me. And, and, and the reason was, was the personal relationship I had developed with coach Beelan. And I had some other coaches too, some that, that I respected and, and their approaches. I respected Hal Hunter and Dave Brock recruited me here from Carolina. And, uh, and, and, and they were both very straight laced, very straightforward. They didn't sugarcoat things. They didn't BS it. Probably the, you know, and I appreciated that. And probably the, the second best story I have is uh, Dave Chatham was the tight ends coach at uh, Duke University when I was coming out. And Dave was recruiting somebody over Independence High School. And I remember head coach Tommy Knotts, who's now down at uh, Dutch Fork in York, South Carolina. Tommy said, you know, I don't have anybody here for you, but there's a tight end over at Butler High School. Go check him out. Dave came over. He came and checked out my film. They offered me that day. He did his home visit that night because he was in town. And I remember, you know, we didn't, like I said, we didn't follow college football, but we did know that Duke was sort of a laughing stock at the time. This is when Ted Roof was the head coach. Tommy Knotts actually the year before had been the quarterback coach and came back to coach Independence High School my senior year uh, where he'd been previously. And my dad actually asked Dave sitting at the kitchen table, he said, Dave, you know what, what is it about Duke? We understand that it's a great school and it, there's a chance Mike could play early and not have to red shirt, you know, at tight end, not have to move the offensive line. You know what? what is it about Duke? Why can't they win? And Dave looked us straight in the eye and he said, I don't know that Duke will ever put the resources into the school or into the football program that are necessary for them to have a successful football program. And we were, me and my dad both kind of sat back in our chairs. Like that was the most honest thing we'd heard from anybody in the recruiting process. And and we shook his hand. We said, thank you. And we legitimately considered Duke after that. Well, a week later I went down to the shrine bowl for a whole week and I came back and the day I came back from the shrine bowl, my phone rang. And he says, hey, Mike, is Dave Chatham. Remember me? I said, yeah, coach, how you doing over there at Duke? He goes, yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually coaching tight ends down here at South Carolina now. I need a tight end. Do you want to come be a Gamecock? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I started laughing on the phone, and I realized, oh, Dave was that honest because he knew he was on the way out. But uh, but you know, guys like Coach Chatham and Warren Beelan and Hal Hunter, Dave Brock, John Bunning, right, they were all very honest with me, and that was the thing that I appreciated the most because I could tell – even at even 17, 18 years old, I could tell when somebody was blowing smoke up my butt. And uh, the coaches from those schools, I could tell, were, were guiding me and were telling me truthful things. Um, and I knew I could take their word uh, as far as you know, what they were saying. I could, I could take it as, as truthful. And I appreciated that. So that's, that's, what I, that's what I appreciated the most in recruiting. That's what helped was forging relationships with people that I knew I could trust through honesty. Always about the relationships. Always. Appreciate it, Mike. That's good stuff. Ross, appreciate you joining me on this show. 
that'll do it for this edition of the InsideCarolina.com podcast sponsored by Jersey Mike's. Mike Ross, appreciate it, boys. Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Hey, Tommy, and one more thing before we go. Uh, I've done it a couple times in previous podcasts. We uh, we had the uh, Letterman tailgate. So Garrett Reynolds helped him put on the Letterman tailgate, and I've been trying to help him with that a little bit on the side. We were going to have that this past weekend. Obviously, uh, the UCF game got canceled. Uh, we are looking – this is for any Letterman who are listening to the podcast – we are looking to relocate that game and reschedule it for relocate that podcast or that, sorry, relocate that tailgate and reschedule it for one of the November games. Uh, we don't think it'll be the state game because of Thanksgiving week, but probably one of the other November games, we will keep you guys posted. So if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, whatever, I'll be posting periodic updates. And if Garrett has your email, be on the lookout for an email. We'll let you all know what the ultimate plan ends up being. Good stuff, Mike. Georgia Tech on the 3rd and Western on the 17th. The other options for those November tailgates. Uh, I wonder if the Inside Carolina radio hosts would be invited to that, man. That, that would Inside, be cool. Inside Carolina radio hosts are always invited, especially Ross Ross Martin and his hair. <laughs> oh, well, I can't help you with the hair. So. Push the light can be served. Push <laughs> <laughs> light. Nice. If, if Ingersoll's there, that is uh that would be high society beer. Only, only IPAs for Ingersoll, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that Good University stuff. of Virginia beer. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, boys. Enjoy uh, your IPAs and your and your sweet tea. Later. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code. Heels 15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.